Life Uncut podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This episode is recorded on Gadigal land of the Aurora Nation. And welcome back to another episode of Life Uncut. I'm Brittany. And I'm Laura. And my holy dooly, it has been a big <laughs> week so far. Can I, I just say you were going to say a big morning, but yeah, it's been a big week as well. Okay. Book launch, done and dusted. Book launch press, well, almost done and dusted, still on the way. Signed, my wedding papers. I don't Woo! know what that even means. But what does I, that mean? One of my best friends is going to be our celebrant and she brought over all of the documents and stuff that we needed to sign. And can I tell you, our wedding is five weeks away now and we are the most unorganised couple that there has ever been that's gotten married. You would think we're eloping, but I'm, we've been engaged for three and a half years. I'm not arguing that point whatsoever. <laughs> like we don't even, okay, to the point of, so we're getting married, it's an outdoor wedding. We only just discovered that we don't actually have chairs for anyone to sit on at the reception. So we've just had to hire chairs. They're coming from three hours away. Because it's a stand-up wedding. Yeah, everyone On your feet. <laughs> on your feet, ladies and gentlemen. Stand for the bride because there's literally no chairs here. Yeah, I want a standing ovation. We've also had some problems with flowers. So we don't have any flowers organised yet. But that's also on its way. And hadn't organised a cake. But I did that this week. Okay, do you have a venue? Yes, do you, and ha- do you have a fiancé? I have a fiancé. And you have a ring? Not yet. I still haven't got my ring. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm making my ring. Do you know what? I've always been the kind of person that's like very good under pressure. Unless I've got a deadline, I will work to that deadline. But if you just give me an arbitrary date... You know, it might not ever get done. I'm exactly the same. And that is why this podcast is always so chaotic because we're like, oh, this has to be done tomorrow. Because we better do it now at 1am. Every single Tuesday and Thursday, we're like, fuck that, crept up real fast. Well, I still have to find a dress for your wedding. So I keep forgetting that I have to do that. I'm going to do that this week. Give what me- about my hens, which is this weekend? I'm I'm done. Oh, I am ready. I have your G-string ready. I have your I have everything ready for you. I have my own dress. I am fully clothed. Am I just wearing a G-string to my hens? Is that yeah. what that means? Yeah. Perfect. And like those little um you know those nipple covers that have the like uh like what's it called tassels, you know, tassels. yeah some nipple tassels I like that we were playing a game of charades while you got your I'm fingers like- <laughs> out there and like tasseled them in the air but you know what I mean I know you're making your ring I'm just gonna say this I'm just gonna throw this out there my sister's getting married in two weeks yikes and Laura made her wedding band too and it is so beautiful we Hashtag just got it this week Tony May if anyone wants an engagement ring uh, I know someone who can sort you out it's really really beautiful so I had a little moment when you gave it to her I was like oh my god everyone here around me in my whole entire life's getting married <laughs> <laughs> I love this favorite <laughs> we love love and then do you know what I said to Laura I'm really going rogue here Laura has these like this is not sponsored by Tony May but Laura was showing me I mean me, it could be it could be Laura's showing me all these beautiful new engagement rings that are coming in and I said do you think I could get one of those because I really like the ring. It's beautiful. It's got diamonds, but not wear it on my engagement ring just so like I can buy myself a nice ring. So I think that's where I'm at. I think I'm buying myself an engagement ring and just going to put it on a different finger. For starters, it is a beautiful salt and pepper diamond. So I think you can buy yourself an engagement ring so long as the stone doesn't look like an eight. Like, so long as the Daily Mail is grabbing this. Brittany buys herself engagement ring. <laughs> <I> think- <laughs> 
Oh, I dear. am dead. Okay, but so long as it's not a like white diamond princess cut ring, I think you can anything else. Okay, I'll take that can, one out of the cart. <laughs> just <laughs> and wear it on your middle finger. Don't wear it on your wedding finger. Then you're fine. Yeah. Fine. So is so my question is: yes. Is it okay? Can we do this? Yes. Yes. I'll I'll make you a non engagement <laughs> engagement ring, so you can marry yourself. So I also have a predicament. I bought a dress to wear to my hen's party, and like when we're recording this, the hen's party is like three days away. I tried it on yesterday. And I'm so confused. Like it has a skin color slip inside it, but nobody's skin color is the color of this slip. Like it is bright fluorescent yellow inside and it makes no sense. So I'm quite upset because I spent way too much money on it and now I have to send it back and I have nothing. I do have a sexy dress if you want to try it on. It's new. For yourself? For you, I, I mean, yeah, but I haven't worn it. So if you want to be the first person to wear it, we can try it on after this. Is it white? No, do you want white? I want white. It's actually black. <laughs> To my funeral, to my dating funeral. Uh, don't you have to wear white to your hen's party? Isn't you that a thing? You have to do anything. It's true. But, okay, we'll sort this out after. We're not going to have this whole, we're not going to have a fashion wardrobe conversation live on the podcast. Do you know what? Okay, we spoke about something on our Tuesday episode. Obviously, we spoke a lot about the book and about all of our personal trauma and tragedies, but um, <laughs> we also spoke about something at the beginning of the episode, which I have been like mm, sitting on all week, really wanting to unpack. We talked about Dharma and the new series that's on Netflix that follows Jeffrey Dharma, the serial killer, and just the complete unbelievable atrocities that he committed. Now, I've only watched two episodes of the series and I have checked the fuck out because it is truly too much for me. And I, I know that there are other people who probably feel the same as me. They've watched a bit and they just can't stomach it. And then there's also people like Brit who have kind of gone gung-ho when they're at the end of the series already. But it is one, well, at, actually it is now Netflix's most downloaded series. It is akin to Stranger Things, which we know was like an absolute blockbuster behemoth. But I have a few feelings and I want to unpack it. So the question that we raised on Tuesday's episode was whether or not the victim's families, Dharma's victim's families had received anything from this movie series or TV series because obviously being like one of the most downloaded Netflix series of all time means that it's also made the most money out of all the Netflix series of all time and we have done a bit of a, a deep dive and investigation I know like Brit and I we had a very heated conversation we, ha- we have actually been we had a going fight. at this we've been we've been having it well we've been no you know what it wasn't we've been having a, a great debate a discussion a very like sometimes it was heated sometimes we had a few variations in opinion but overall we got to the same place it is not insane that this is made number one in the world because we as a society and a generation we all know we have a huge obsession with true crime and it doesn't matter what platform we know crime books top sellers number one podcasts in the world are true crime number one shows in the world true crime but it's insane that this can go number one in netflix and make the most money ever and not a dime goes to the family. Yeah. So we did a bit of a deep dive and, you know, we asked the question and then we kind of sat there and we're like, we don't know the answer to that. So we'll get back to you. So there have been quite a few articles that have come out in the last couple of days, which are from the victim's families. And the answer to that is, is that no, nobody has received any money off the back of the Netflix series. And there was one really interesting article that I came across. And the woman who's been interviewed is Rita Isbell. She's the sister to Errol Lindsay, who was 19 years old when he was murdered by Dharma. The reason why her statement is so important, so she did a victim impact statement when the actual trial was on and she was understandably unconsolable and out of control. She she actually said, you know, they were trying to argue that Dharma was not in control of his actions, that he was out of his mind crazy as a serial killer. And she on the stand 
lost control and said, you know, if you want to see what out of control is, this is what out of control looks like. And she was screaming and, and obviously so, so, so upset by what she had to experience. Now, the Netflix series has recreated that moment. They have recreated Rita on the stand saying word for word her victim impact statement. And this article that I came across was so interesting because Rita says she watched this play out. She watched that episode. Nobody had ever contacted her from Netflix or from any production company to even tell her that Dharma was happening. So here she is being represented on screen an exact replica of herself wearing the exact clothes. She even said, if I didn't know that was a movie, I would have thought that that was me. But nobody made any contact with her to let her know that this was unfolding. I myself have struggled to watch this series and there are so many reasons as to why I feel like it's a true like trauma porn. It is an exploitation of victims' lives. But this is kind of adds another layer to that where I'm like, what is the purpose of this miniseries? Is it purely just for entertainment value? There's a level of, is this glorifying these serial killers? Is that what it's doing? How do we as a consumer consume the show? Overall, entertainment, like you said, Laura, we had this discussion, entertainment is the purpose, right? For somebody like me who has, I have a very high interest in true crime. I always have. I used to want to be a criminal psychologist. For me, I'm so intrigued and interested in what is going on in somebody's brain or what has happened to them in their life to make them do the things that they do. The fact that Netflix came out and said, you know, we're trying to do this respectfully to the victims' families. Did they? Yeah, is a load of bullshit. Netflix said they had an intention to do the show with respect to the families. So Rita's cousin, Eric, has been in big support of Rita during this time and also making public comments about his thoughts. Eric said in response to that, so when they say they're doing this with respect to the families or honouring the dignity of the families, no one contacts them. My cousin wakes up every few months at this point with a bunch of calls and messages telling them that they know there is another Dharma show. It is just cruel. It's like reliving it over and over again. Nobody was contacted about this show. Nobody receives any money from this show except for Netflix. So that is 100% in my eyes, and I'm going to think almost every single person that listens to this, that is not respect to the families in my sense. Just, I don't know, it leaves me a little bit gobsmacked that you could produce something of this level knowing you're going to create a revenue stream that is beyond anything Netflix has ever made by exploiting victims' families and victims but not giving a dollar back to the victims or to a charity or to anything is a bit mind-boggling in this day and age. Well, I mean, it does kind of then all play into that this is – and when we say entertainment, we don't mean like entertainment as in like watching a comedy. Obviously, nobody is watching this and then feeling good at the end of it, but we are watching it because we're so intrigued. And and I guess I wanted to unpack like why this show made me feel so uncomfortable. And, you know, I love true crime also. I love watching listening to podcasts like The Teacher's Pet. I love watching documentaries on it. But this feels very fucking different. And I think a lot of people would agree. And the reason why this feels so different is because it's like a Hollywoodified version of a real story. And when I say that, what I mean is, yes, it's followed like the true events. It's tried to depict things in a very, very real way, almost like a hyper real way. But the addition of the production value behind it, like the music and the lighting and the kind of the suspense driving nature of it, like it is something that has you sitting on the end of your seat. Like every single time an episode finishes, you are hooked and want to know what's the next thing. And I think think it's this blurred line between Hollywood and true story that's told from the killer's perspective that leaves me feeling totally unsettled by the whole production. But I think it's one of these things. This has been happening for a long time. 
it's exposure therapy. Over the years, we've seen these creations. Like we saw Ted Bundy with Zac Efron, which was the same thing, but I think produced on a bit of a lesser scale. As time progresses, we get so used to something that we do crave more. And I think that's why it's turned into these, I don't even want to say blockbusters, but it is as a a blockbuster. And it's because as a consumer, evidently, we're wanting more and more. Yeah. And I guess this was a thing that Britt and I got into a debate about off microphone earlier. It's because like, I feel like this series, Dharma, sets a real new precedent in how we're viewing true crime. And I think that the production element of it really kind of escalates it to a point where it's more around, I don't want to say glamorization, because obviously Dharma is not, it's, he's not glamorized, but it does humanize him. It shows so much around like the fights between his parents, around the trauma that he experienced as a child. And I think that showing it from his perspective humanizes him more than it humanizes the victims. And what comes to mind is the second episode where there is a 14 year old boy. And I don't want to, I mean, obviously I don't want to give away too much of the story, but like, it's also a true story. So you can find out exactly what happened, but there is a 14 year old boy who is his victim and he wakes up and he trips over another dead man on the ground. And my first thought was, that's a real person. That is someone's son lying dead on the ground. But for the storyline of this series, his story wasn't important enough to be told. So he was just a dead body on the floor. And I guess like looking at it from that perspective made me feel incredibly uncomfortable. And then when I think about, you know, there are obviously so many other Netflix series. There are so many other podcasts. Teacher's Pet comes to mind. And that's obviously a true crime podcast we talked about recently. It's something that we were so hooked on. But it felt like the outcome of that had a purpose. Like it was an incredible achievement of justice to have Chris Dawson put behind bars. He is being held accountable for the crimes that he committed. Whereas I don't think that there is any purpose to this except for entertainment. I don't know where the line is. I think as a consumer, this is going to continue to happen because we're going to get used to this now. So we're not going to want to go backwards. We're not going to want to watch anything that hasn't been as such a big production. We're going to want more and more and more. I don't know where the line is and I don't know what we can do to stop it because people are still going to want to watch it. The voyeurism has become so extreme. The need for more information. Not only do we want more information, we want to watch like in detail the brutality kind of play out. And I think that the more that we're exposed to it, where do we go to next? Like what's the next big thing? But I feel like we could talk about this series for forever. And you know what? I feel like uh, so many people are watching it. So many people are talking about it at the moment. But let's get into what we do on every (laughs) Thursday's episode. And that is answering all of your deep, your dark and your burning questions. Brittany, do you want to hit it with number one? Okay, this first question is a bit more of a serious question. It is, I'm, I, I'm mentioning this because we did speak about abortion and pregnancy on Tuesday's episode when Laura was talking about things that she went through in the book. So this is about abortion. If this is going to be triggering for you, tune out of this one. I'm 26. I've got a beautiful partner and we've been together and living together for about a year and a half. In February, we fell pregnant. I have endometriosis and he's 35 and he's never had a pregnancy scare before. So we naively thought we would struggle to conceive naturally. We decided to medically terminate a pregnancy for a few reasons. It was a very hard decision to make, but mainly that the initial response to the positive test was that we weren't that excited. The termination was really hard. The healthcare system really let me down, not to mention how painful it was. And I swore I wouldn't go through it again if we did ever fall pregnant again. Fast forward seven months. I think we are in the same position. My main question is, 
Is it selfish to keep this pregnancy when only seven months ago I had a termination? Is it selfish to keep an unplanned baby? The guilt that I have is just so strong. Thank you in advance. This is such a big question. And I mean, we spoke a little bit about abortion on Tuesday's episode. My very first thought, the very first thing that I want to say is just because you decided seven months ago that you didn't want to have a baby and you went through with having a termination, you don't have to be that as a constant. You know, you've experienced something that you never experienced before. You never had an abortion before. You had no idea how you were going to respond to that situation. It could have been relief. It could have been regret. It could have been guilt. All of those feelings. That doesn't mean that just because seven months later you're pregnant again that you have to have an abortion. Your feelings and thoughts could have changed in that length of time. Your situation could have changed in that length of time. Your relationship with your partner could have changed in that length of time. Fuck, your relationship with yourself could have changed in that time. You are allowed to do whatever you want to do and you don't have to feel guilt for it. And I think something that I touched on on Tuesday, which I think ties into this and is really important, the decision that you made seven months ago does not have to be intertwined into the decision that you make now. And, you know, there there doesn't need to be the guilt. There doesn't need to be like, you're not being punished for that decision. This is not karma. None of those things apply. And I think that sometimes we can kind of hang on to, maybe I deserve this. Maybe this is my second chance. Sometimes life just works out the way it does. And you've been put in the same position again, and it's up to you to choose whatever is the right decision for you now and in this moment. Yeah, guilt is such a strong and overwhelming human emotion. Guilt is incredibly powerful and can make you do, feel, say some pretty crazy things. Things can change in seven months. A lot can change. The way you feel, the way you view things, financial situations, your situation with your partner, maybe what you went through with that has made you realise that you do want one and you are ready for a child and you are ready to take that journey. It's a very difficult situation. All I can say is that Whatever is right for you now is okay and I really hope that you do let go of any guilt that you've had because you just have to know that at that point of your life, you made a decision that you felt was right. And Brie, I like what you said in terms of like guilt being this, it's such a big and loaded emotion. And oftentimes when we feel guilt, it's because we have breached our own moral code. You know, something that we have done or something that we have, you know, something doesn't sit right with us. And I think that for you to be in this situation now and feel guilt It could be from two places. It could be that you feel guilty because you regret having the earlier abortion or it could be that you feel guilty because you had an abortion and now seven months later you're in a position where you can have a baby and you think, well, surely I could have done it seven months ago. So there's a lot of different things that are loaded into this. And I mean, without knowing you and knowing more around your situation, we're never going to know what the right answer to that is. But I, I do think that it's okay for you to change your mind and it's okay for your situation to have changed and you don't need to hold on to that guilt. You don't need to be sorry for the decisions that you made because when you made them, they were the right decision for you at that time and you made the best decision you could with the information you had and that's what's most important. Question, that was very big. It was a very big question, but you know it what? Was. I think that's an most, important one. Yeah. yeah, and most people suffer through the conversations around abortion on their own because there's so much fucking shame attached to it. Like most women who are thinking about or experiencing an abortion don't even speak to their friends about it because they're too worried about what people will think and how people will perceive them. And what I will say though, it's very easy for us to sit here and say, don't hold on to that and don't feel that. But it's another thing for you to actually action that. And if you are experiencing really big feelings of guilt and and you're holding on to that and you're, you're not able to move forward, you should speak to someone 100%. There's always 
someone. It might just be a friend or maybe you need a therapist. A therapist yeah. But there's a lot that you, you – it's you can't just shake this off and say, I'm not going to feel guilt anymore because we know these are things we can hold on to for a very long time. Definitely if this is something that you can't deal with and you can't let go, 100%, please find a really great trusted therapist and go and sort that out as you move forward with your second pregnancy. All right, question number two. Now, this is a slightly lighthearted one. Actually, it's not lighthearted, lighthearted, but it's got some lighthearted aspects. My mother-in-law is a hoarder and never throws anything out. I'm pretty sure the perfume she's using is 20 years old and smells super musky. I cannot stand it. Whenever she sleeps over with my son, so I'm guessing like grandma comes over and takes care of the son, she leaves the musky smell all over the house, especially on his sheets, (laughs) which I can't stand. How do I tell her to stop using that perfume? Okay, no, that is so funny. You can't I don't think you can tell someone you don't like their perfume. No, okay, but <laughs> also anyone who has somebody who has hoarder tendencies in their family, usually there's a psychological or deeper reason as to why someone does that. And I have experienced this with my mum. Like this is a really big conversation for me because my mum is somebody who really struggles to throw anything away. We have just been through a very big process of clearing out her home and I'll be able to tell you guys more about that soon. Yeah, that is, you will see that. You will know more about it in a few Mm. months' time. Mm. But in my mum's case, like her hoarder tendencies, I think, I kind of hate calling them hoarder tendencies because it's like there's so much shame around it. There's so much shame around people who, you know, live amongst clutter and can't throw things away. But for my mum, like it came from her going through a real period in her life where she just didn't have any money. So there was such a scarcity mindset that she needed to hold on to everything. And now she still struggles, you know, in her 60s with throwing things away. So I think firstly, before, or you just kind of say, oh, she's a hoarder. She never throws anything away. Is there a deeper reason behind it? Is there something that has conditioned her to be that way where you might need to have a little bit more empathy rather than just seeing it as her being like a hoarder and it's kind of a situation that's annoying to you? Well, I'm going to controversial opinion here. I think this probably has nothing to do with being a hoarder. I think you don't like her perfume. Like she might've been wearing this perfume for 20 years, but it might be a new perfume she's wearing and you just don't like the smell I don't think you can go to someone and say, I don't like your perfume, you should stop wearing it. But what you could do is when it's her birthday or when it's Christmas or as a thank you for everything she does, whatever it is, buy her a perfume as a gift. Give it to her and say, you know, like if it was a thank you, just like want to thank you for all the hard work you do, birthday, whatever. You don't need a reason for the birthday. Then when she puts it on or when she smells it, make a big song and dance about it. Be like, oh, that is is so nice. Like this is my favorite perfume. Make a point of like how great the perfume is and maybe she'll start wearing it. But I don't know if because you don't like it, you can ask her to stop wearing it. I mean, it could also be the case that it's just that she layers it on so thick. I mean, some people do not have portion control when it comes to wearing mm. perfume. It, we've all been in a situation where we've dated a guy and he's just gone happy ham with the cologne. But like <laughs> with the Lynx Africa. With the, <laughs> spray it up, baby. Yeah. But like, you know, it could be more of a consumption problem rather than yeah. what it is that she's actually wearing. Look, the other alternate is you can always lie. You can tell her that maybe your child's allergic to the perfume or something, that he's been getting allergies or skin rashes or whatever coughing a lot and that that you guys are all trying to go organic and perfume free that could be another alternate but you can't you cannot just approach the situation by telling your mother-in-law that you don't like her 20 year old perfume no it's only gonna go badly (laughs) absolutely not all right last question i've been seeing a guy for about seven weeks now it's all going pretty well we see each other about once a week and most times after a date we have sex so here's the thing We have great sexual chemistry and the quality is pretty good. However, 
Over the last seven weeks, he's made me orgasm only once. And the last time we slept together, I faked my first orgasm. We generally have sex twice in one session. He asked me how many times I came, to which I said once, to which he was very surprised that I didn't come both times. So here's my dilemma. When is the right time to provide feedback on what I need when having sex? Like many women, I can't orgasm with just penetrative sex and need other things to assist if you know what I mean. So long story short, she's been faking her orgasm. But she only faked once. She had sex, right? Twice in one session. He said, how many times did you come? She lied and said once. So she came no, no times. Oh, you came no, okay, you, girl, you need to stop acting so enthusiastic. If you, he is not getting you there, like you need to tone back the moaning and the like ring and just like do not give him the impression that you have came. If he is coming out of two separate times thinking that you had multiple orgasms, you are overperforming for him. He does not need that much reassurance. Actually, he needs a lot more feedback. So she's only come once in the whole time they've seen each other, which is nearly two months. That's terrible. And they're, they're sexing. It's a disaster. They're sexing twice a sesh. They so do you do the math? That's a lot of sex to have only orgasm once. So she's 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 faking her orgasms and now she's faking the number two. So when they have sex twice, she's like just once out of the two, but I, it's really none. No, okay, like now. Now's the time to provide feedback. I think there's no better time than the present. So what do you say, Laura? I think the problem is is that if you appear too over-enthusiastic and you reward bad behaviour with lots of moaning, then they think they're doing a good job, right? And I know that no one wants to – you want to kind of boost their ego and you want to – show that you're enthusiastic about the sex and you want them to feel good. So sometimes we overcommit to making them feel good, but also it <laughs> you just... commit your performance. Yeah, like, and you could have gone to NIDA. Maybe you were a fucking fantastic actress, but all you're doing is rewarding, and I shouldn't say bad behaviour because he's not doing anything bad, but like rewarding not great technique and therefore he's going to continue to do it. I think that you can't delay the conversation because the longer you leave it, the harder the feedback's going to be because not only will he be a little bit hurt by it, but he will also be like, wow, you felt like this for so long and you haven't told me anything. I actually think now is probably the perfect time. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be like, you have not made me come and I have been faking it. You can literally just say, do you know what? I don't always come when we have sex because I find it really hard to come from penetrative sex. I would really love it if you would go down on me first or if you want to get me off, go down on me for 10 minutes or whatever, finger me, whatever you want. Every time I say finger me, it's just like it makes my skin crawl a little bit. Finger blast me, whatever it takes, whatever (laughs) you that No, that's something different. (laughs) But I, I genuinely think the longer you leave it, any of these sorts of conversations, the harder they are to have. And the next time he asks, you know, how many times did you come? That's literally the perfect time to say. I didn't. I didn't come. Actually, you know, I really enjoyed it. It felt so good. But for me, I need more than just sticking it in and going jackhammer to town. Well, what you can say too is like, because you don't want to say I faked it the whole time, right? What you can say is. <laughs> I would advise say, against saying that you've been faking it the yeah, whole time. Yeah, but he has to understand, because otherwise he thinks what he's done is right and he'll keep doing it. So what you have to say is it feels really good, but it was like, explain it. Because he doesn't know. He's a guy. He's got no idea. Just be like. Some of them do have an idea. Let's evidently, not put them all into the same Evidently basket. this guy has no idea. You just say, oh, it's like half an orgasm. You know, it feels so good. And it's so great, but it's not getting me all the way there. And I know that this would be. this Like this is good, but this could be explosive. And I think that's what you say. So you're like, you know, 
what's been happening is great, which is not a lie. It's great. But make him understand how much better it is for you when he does something else to get you to your orgasm. And when he he will feel and see your response and how different it is when he's actually making you orgasm. He's going to understand pretty quickly that there is a difference. It's always good to provide feedback like a shit sandwich though. Like it's always yeah. good to say, I really like it when you do this, but I would love it when you do this. Oh, and this also feels great. Like sandwich that feedback in between two compliments around the things that you do like. And then hopefully that will indicate to him the things that he should be doing more of. And if he's doing something that you really hate, like let's say he is just jackhammering you to town or he's too rough or he spends too much time trying to like, you know, literally uh, rub your clit off, whatever it is. There's nothing wrong with explaining the one or two things that you don't like either. Like, you know, I, I don't act, it doesn't feel good when you do this, but it feels really good when you do this. You can give negative feedback and positive feedback kind of sandwiched together. And when he does what you like and you have that great orgasm, give the performance of your <laughs> life. Get an Oscar woman because that is when he's going to be like, fuck yeah, I'm doing that every single time. Absolutely. All right. Well, I feel like, I mean, God, we've had some highs and lows on this episode. I was aware it was a different episode wasn't it I loved it (laughs) all right well that is it from us guys if you haven't got yourself a copy of we love love you can jump on to the website it is lifeuncutpodcast.com.au you can also get tickets to live show there is still a few left in Sydney it's at the city recital hall next Wednesday night it's going to be so much fucking fun and we have some really really exciting guests lined up I dreamt last night Laura that we, I mean, we have a great performer at the start of the show. A, not, a surprise. A surprise. I can't tell you about it. But I dreamt that they, they didn't turn up. That's how much I'm thinking about it. But I was like, they didn't turn up. The they're going to turn up. I mean, the guys, they're coming. But that's what I dreamt. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're not coming. But and they you know are what? coming. If they don't come, I will just get nude on stage and do a strip show. And then that will be great as well. So either way, it's a win-win. <laughs> that is it. Keep your questions coming into Life Uncut Podcast, Ask Uncut. Also, if you have any aftermaths, so the follow-ups, the resolutions of any of the Ask Uncuts, keep them coming in. And don't forget, tell your mum, tell your dad, tell your dog, tell your friends and share the love because we love love.